DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an Associate Professor and the Academic Dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California. He also serves as the Academic Advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, whose spiritual classic, The Way of Perfection, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. She would say in chapter 3, Do you think, my daughters, that it is an easy matter to have to do business with the world, to live in the world, to engage in the affairs of the world, and, as I have said, to live as worldly men do, and yet inwardly to be strangers to the world and enemies of the world, like persons who are in exile, to be, in short, not men, but angels? One of the things that the great monks and ascetics talked about, and this is an important thing about the Carmelite rule or way of life. The Carmelites are like an echo of the ancient desert fathers. Their charism was born in the Holy Land by crusaders who, after fighting the crusade, wanted to devote their life to prayer. And apparently around Mount Carmel, there were hermits hermits whose spiritual heritage went back to the very beginnings of Christianity and who found their inspirations from from Elijah. So these crusaders joined these hermits or desert dwellers, and they lived an eremitical life alone. So the idea of in the world but not of it, they viewed themselves as praying for the world, as this being the most important thing they could do. As, they, as you withdraw into the desert and you begin to pray for the, the world, the ancient desert fathers from the Carmelite has roots into these ancient desert fathers. Uh, you either become an angel or a beast. That The idea there is when you withdraw into solitude, you either through the discipline of life learn how to renounce yourself and love the Lord or you become trapped in your own narcissism and yourself. Teresa of Avila in that passage that you just read is at least indirectly referring to this, this ancient body of teaching that has been with, with those who've gone into the desert. When you go into the desert, when you go into the monastery, the most important project really in, in many ways is you. You are responsible to order your life to the charity, friendship, love of God to make yourself vulnerable to him. And if you don't, if you let yourself get caught up in the affairs of this world, you become a beast. Um, there's nothing worse than a worldly religious. But a religious who has disciplined themselves to the love of God, there's nothing better than, than them. St. John Paul II calls them fiery icons of the eschaton. And, and what he means, the eschaton, is the end of times. In the end of times, we, are, we won't be given a marriage uh, anymore. We will be 
we will be, as it were, like what the great contemplative religious are, a single-hearted, totally for the Lord. We will have deep friends, and, and our spouse in the life to come will continue to be our deep friend. But in all the friendships we hold in heaven, uh, our first love and our absolute devotion will be freed completely for that in a way that we're not right now. Well, religious are a sign for that. They're messengers of that. They're angels of that. If they live out their life well, if they let themselves get caught up with worldly affairs, they'll become a beast. And so she's kind of laying out, it's a little bit like Moses. I've laid out for you today the way of life and the way of death. Choose life that you may live. And Teresa of Avila is kind of hinting at that ancient call to choose the way of life. To jump to the 1970s, when she would be lifted up as a doctor of the church by Pope Paul VI, at a time when society in the culture is careening into such a chaotic manner, the family and everything around us seems to be in chaos. And there was this great urging of the church to a universal call to holiness mm-hmm. that Correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, but oftentimes when doctors of the church are brought forward, it is at a time in the life of the church, their teachings have something to say to the church of that time in particular. And so what she's imploring for her sisters is not just something that is for her sisters. We've said it repeatedly now, but it is and can be applied to those of us who are in the world now because that would be the great lie wouldn't it that we are not capable of having that type of discipline or desire for that type of i want to say union Mm -hmm. with god you know chapter three in many ways is about the fact that if we embrace this discipline if we will pray like this it will help our humanity flourish. She talks about uh, decreasing the punishments that would be our due in purgatory. Well, what is purgatory? Purgatory is that threshold to heaven where all the things that hold me back from a perfect love of God are burned away. Because there are things holding me back from a perfect love of God, that means that right now, insofar as these things are part of my life, they're diminishing me. They're holding me back from living a fully human life. Well, in the 1970s and today, and uh, uh, in you know the the teens, 2000 teens, this time that we live in today, there are a lot of people whose love of God has been diminished, and their love for each other has been diminished. There's a lot of people who are not able to live life to the full; they're being held back. And in particular, today, if we look at just similar to the 60s and 70s, there's a lot of people who are choo- choosing an extremely boorish lifestyle where they're uh, they're living like animals not because they are not able body and they can't get a job and not because they they don't know somewhere that haven't heard something about the gospel of christ before they're doing it because really they've given up on life you know in different ways they they're not sure that it's worth the effort that discipline actually avails you of anything that if you live a a disciplined life for the Lord, that you really will, in the end, be happy. Uh, They know they ought to be. Many of them do anyway. 
yes, but why ought I do it? If I embrace this life of discipline, will I really be happy? Will this really meet, fulfill the deepest needs of my heart? Will I really have what I most long for? Will I really be able to live life to the full? Well, Teresa of Avila is saying, yes, sacrifice is worth it. Sacrifice for love of Jesus. Go to Jesus and begin to pray to him and respond to what he's asking of you. And when you do, he's going to ask you to make some pretty steep sacrifices. He's going to ask you to do things that are inconvenient and uncomfortable because you cannot love someone except at your own expense. Love always costs. Love... uh, uh, a love that it's not expressed in sacrifice isn't really love at all. And when you love with sacrifice, when you give things up, when you renounce, embrace hardship, suffer trials for love, your love is tested, it's deepened, it becomes precious, and you become most fully who you are meant to be. This is what the human, well, this is what it means to be a human being. To, it, this is what it means to be uh, fully alive. And so, you know, this is why in chapter four, she's going to say prayer and a comfortable life are incompatible. You cannot live a life of prayer and also live a comfortable life. One has to give way to the other. And this message is his, uh, that she proposed at her, in her time uh, was a tough message to hear. Well, this message as it's proposed in the 1970s was tough for people in the 1970s to hear. But it's tough for us to hear today because uh, we've been living under the, the illusion and the enchantment that if we're just comfortable enough, we're going to be happy enough. And it's a lie. Um, we need to renounce what's comfortable so that we have space to pray. And when we pray, our love for God is made perfect. And when that love is made perfect, we flourish, we live life to the full. This is what men and women, young people today, uh, are hungry to discover. But they'll never discover it if we don't start living it ourselves. Don't we see that exemplified in some ways, Anthony, in the lives of elders of our community, those who have, who have survived and are living lives where they, in some ways, have had everything removed from the, whether it... The home that they thought they would live in the rest of their lives is now gone, and they may be in a, in a single room in a nursing home. The health that they had always had, now they, now they can't move or uh, respond the way they used to. It's almost as though they've been stripped of all those things, and you can see they've either had to cross a threshold where they've had to embrace what Teresa is advocating or they rail there's a deep well of sadness well I think there is a deep well of, of sadness uh, you know these these souls who have gone before us the ones who little older had, who lived through the depression in the 1930s who uh, fought World War II or in the Korean War and the sacrifices. Those times, the whole country had to make sacrifices together. So they have a sense of being American and a sense of solidarity with each other that's very beautiful. And among Catholics, a sense of prayer for our country, uh, a sense of faith in Christ, in the the capacity of our faith, see us through it all. 
This is the greatness of the generation, you know, that went through those times. That generation is disappearing every day. There are fewer and fewer of them who knew those times of sacrifice and calamity and, and difficulty. And, and while we still have many, many wonderful uh, men and women who made, who've made great sacrifices, none of us have suffered through anything like the Depression. I know that uh, in 2008, everybody thought that was a really rough time, and it was rough in many ways, but it wasn't as rough as what they went through in the 30s. We haven't, as a people, had to face great calamities in a long time. Yes, we had 9-11, and that was probably a calamity that touched our hearts. But we haven't been tested. We haven't been deprived of comfortable things. And, and because of that, then the, uh, the, the disadvantage of that is that when you're not tested, when, you, when your life isn't touched by hardship or difficulty, you, uh, you lose a sense of gratitude, you become a little bit self-sufficient, you become a little bit lackadaisical in your spiritual life, uh, you begin to think that make room for comfort here and there in a way that crowds out prayer. And that's where we are as a people right now. I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much, as I said, boorish behavior is maybe with my generation, I was born in the 60s, maybe in my generation, we thought that we could have prayer and a little bit of comfort. Now it's comfort living a life where there's no demands, no expectations placed on you. You just enjoy your, yourself and each day as it comes. And in that lifestyle, uh, no room for prayer. And one of the reasons there's no room for prayer is because it's so narcissistic and turned in on yourself you're not thinking about praying for other people. It's all about you all the time. And yes, you hide that behind your social or political cause, whatever it might be. But that's your social or political cause is just a projection of your own ego. And so as you advance that, you're really just advancing yourself. And you've lost all sense of yourself. You identify completely with this agenda. And so in that kind of existence, there's no room for prayer. For lack of discipline, you have crowded prayer right out of your life. What does this mean for us? What does Teresa's, Teresa of Avila's words mean? You know, as we, we get into, as we, we look at things like uh, chapter four, uh, the challenge be, before us right now is to recover the discipline that prayer requires, the simplicity of life that prayer requires. For those of us who want to take these teachings seriously, we're going to have to look at our family life and our daily schedule, and we're going to have to ask, what are little sacrifices I can make so that I can have more space for prayer in my life? We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. 
A prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. You know, Teresa in Chapter 4 talks about friendship and those types of friendships that are in relationships, can we put it that way, that are destructive. And, you know, she didn't live in the era of the radio or of, of television or the Internet where now we have the types of friendships that are in, very, in a real way very artificial, and yet we cling to them. You know, the, in her time, she didn't have the, the time of celebrity where we follow those who are, you know, in a mass media, we, we follow what they do because we want to look like them and be like them. And the danger of clinging too much to those types of uh, relationships. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes. Well, uh, what she's not saying here is that all friendships are bad. And for those of us who are married, you know, our friendship with our spouse, in fact, is a, a chief means of growth and holiness. By being faithful to our spouse, come uh, thick and thin, or hell and high water. I, I guess in Omaha, sometimes you have high water there. We've had a drought here with lots of hot sun until this year. So for us, it was the opposite of the high water that we had to deal with. Marriage, though, is blocked from being an effective means for spiritual growth insofar as our own selfishness is part of it. When we let our selfishness rob us of the sacrifices that our spouse, our friend, is worthy of, we've diminished marriage as being able to, to provide us the grace that it can, it can be. And so Teresa of Avila talks then about two kinds of love. She's going to say that there are spiritual friendships that really do help us grow closer to Jesus. And then friendships that aren't purely spiritual that are going to hold us back. And so the task becomes not giving up all our friendships. The task becomes, how do I make this friendship that I have with this person into a spiritual friendship that's going to lead us both into deeper union with the Lord? 
uh, uh, she says, two kinds of love are what I'm dealing with. One kind is spiritual because it in no way seems to stir sensuality or affect the tenderness of our nature so as to take away purity. The other is spiritual mixed with our sensuality and weakness or, or good love, for it seems to be licit as is love for our relatives and friends. And um, uh, I want to speak about the love that is spiritual, that is not affected by any passion. Where passion is present, the good order is thrown into complete disorder. And if we deal with virtuous persons discreetly and moderately, especially confessors, we will benefit. So what she's talking about, what is she talking about here is, is spiritual love uh, is a love that is not needy. Uh, uh, now, uh, Pope Benedict kind of develops this a little bit more. And so I think we want to use in Pope Benedict's encyclical, God is Love, he develops this theme. He says, there are two movements of love in the human heart, eros and agape, he says. Eros is that love that we have to be, that love that we have to be with another, to be connected with another person. Agapeic love is the love by which we sacrifice for others. There was a Lutheran thinker who said, well, eros is essentially an expression of our sinful nature and therefore can't bring us to union with God. And agapeic love is what Jesus reveals on the cross. And so the Christian life is all about our loving with agapeic love one another and Maybe we might have to tolerate some of our weakness. We might have to tolerate some of our the Eros love. But that Eros love through the years should diminish and agapeic love become greater and greater. So agape and Eros in that model are kind of a switch. This isn't exactly what Teresa of Avila is talking about here. Teresa of Avila, I think, is talking about a little bit more what uh, Pope Benedict uh, uh, says is, is a better way forward. The better way forward is to acknowledge that eros without agape is very vulnerable. It can, can be dangerous for us because it can turn us in towards ourselves and make us selfish. You know? So eros somehow needs to be disciplined towards agape, but agapeic love in human nature also needs to be informed by arrows. In other words, when I sacrifice for another person, it's not, I'm, I can't treat that other person as an object in whom I have no interest in at all. Uh, when I offer them a glass of water and I'm just giving them a glass of water so that I've done my good deed, I haven't really loved them. Uh, the other person is an endpoint in eternity. They are the image and likeness of, of God himself. They were bought by the blood of Christ, shed for us all on the cross, you know, with great humiliation and suffering. They are worth something. They are worthy of my love. And because they are worthy of my love, then, uh, when I give them the water, it's not just me sacrificially doing something that I'm not personally involved with. I also give my heart. Mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila is talking about a love a sacrificial love, a spiritual love, is a sacrificial love that is informed by our eros, our desire to connect with each other. Someone might say, that doesn't seem right, doesn't, doesn't seem pure. But in God, 
and this is Pope Benedict's argument, in God, if we look at God and we look at the writings of the great fathers, Eros and Agape in God are both in God. God has a great yearning for humanity, so much so that uh, whatever we want to call this great yearning, he summoned us into existence. And even when he sinned, he entered into our, our flesh, uh, took on our nature, and died for us. He yearns for us so much that when he ascended into heaven with our humanity, he's opened up a way so that we can be in the Father's house forever. That eros of God is perfectly united to his agapeic love. Look at his sacrifice and you see how much he desires you. Consider how much he desires you and you understand the power and the generous, the generosity and total immensity of the sacrifices that he made for us. Well, in spiritual love, eros and agape come together. And in a religious community, if you have kind of uh, a one sister that you favor over another and you show favoritism, other people get hurt by that. And, and so she goes on to comment about that. In family life, though, it's a little bit like that. You know, when we don't treat our children equally, it breeds kind of resentment. And so we got to watch the way we love our children so that we love each child exactly in the manner that that child needs to be loved. And that isn't the same as doing exactly the same thing for each one. Each one has different needs. So it means responding to those needs in a very unique way that his or her being calls for. You, our love for our spouse is, is a, a particular love and unique in all the world. It calls for a very special kind of sacrifice for our spouse, very special kind of friendship. But as I said earlier, if insofar as our friendship with our spouse is mixed with our own neediness, uh, when, uh, when we are looking at our spouse to be the source of our happiness rather than God, we are putting an expectation on them that they can't possibly meet. It, it is a, a fascinating chapter because it does have that appendix that's added to it that breaks open even more what she's saying there in regards to the, the sisters who may have a confessor. Correct me if I'm wrong again, Anthony. If What she's saying is listen very carefully to your heart and your movement of your heart because if you, anything, as she would say, of vanity that displays vanity, that listen to that, and maybe you've got to realize you've got to break away from that. Somehow distance that if the confessor is one who is exhibiting vanity and you are attracted to that. Mm. And it, um, how would that be translated today? Uh, I think we're going to have to see that all our relationships in this world are, are imperfect and that we can sometimes have affections for spiritual people or people who have spiritual roles in our, our lives that, that aren't pure. And we need to be vigilant about, about that. Uh, I've known people who really struggled because they became overly attached to their spiritual director and or, or confessor. And then they were deeply, deeply hurt when the confessor or spiritual director kind of said, you know, I need some space. They blamed the poor confessor or spiritual director for that. But what was the real problem? The real problem was that you 
You brought something impure into that relationship. You brought your own neediness there, and you were putting expectations on them that you should have you should have only placed on God. It wasn't fair for you to put those expectations on on this other person. They can't play that role for you. Your husband, your wife can't play that role. Your confessor can't play that role. Your spiritual director can't play that role. The Pope can't play that role. Only God can play God's role. And um, John of the Cross also talks about this in his book, The Dark Night of the Soul. In book one, uh, he describes imperfections that beginners have. And among those uh, imperfections that that he lists uh, are uh, these kind of the strange attachment to what our confessors think or don't think about us. When you see that you're attached about what he thinks or doesn't think, that's that's kind of a, a sign of spiritual pride. You might say, well, I, I don't think I'm all that worried about, about that. So one of my favorite litmus tests is when I'm going to confession, am I worried about which priest hears my confession? If I'm worried about which priest hears or doesn't hear my confession, there's a lack of simplicity of heart that I have. I'm not approaching the sacrament to receive forgiveness from the Lord. I'm approaching it to impress somebody or to avoid being embarrassed by somebody else. And that's impure. My, my, uh, that becomes something that I need to confess. I have pride, and that pride manifests in a, a kind of weird attachment uh, or detachment from my confessor uh, because of what I've done. So anyway, these are real issues that spiritual people get into, and, and they happen because of the brokenness of our nature. When they happen, you repent of them, you pick up the pieces, and you go forward. It's just part of our brokenness that this should happen. It's not because you are particularly bad or wicked. It's, it's just the way we're wired as human beings. We, we get attached to people, and the Lord, if we are faithful, the Lord will help us develop these spiritual friendships that always give him glory. Yeah, it's part of uh, just our our broken nature and this desire to have union with Christ, isn't it? That sometimes we, we're looking for Jesus and we find him in others, but then we become attached to the others and we've lost sight of Jesus. I mean, how many times have we heard stories or even experienced in our own lives? We love a pastor so much or we have somebody who speaks so well. You know, it can happen in Catholic media, even. Mm. And they stand out, and they just, this is, our hearts are on fire when we're around them. They get us all excited, and then their human nature comes up, or there may, God forbid, be a fall. And we hear, oh, I'm done with the church now. That person mm. let me down. It, something happens, and we feel a pain for that, not just for the person, but somehow it affects our faith. When we become detached from Jesus in that relationship and became more attached to the person, does yeah. that make sense? Well, that and that's you know, as we pursue perfect love of God, God is going to lead us and put all our our relationships in order, and He's so He's going to be questioning us about our relationships and and um, and He's going to help us kind of see how we rely on people in ways that we shouldn't rely on them. And uh, as he reveals that to us, we should repent and uh, ask his assistance to order our, our things right. You know, Otherwise, if, if we don't do that, 
We live at a time where, because of the media, there's a lot of people who kind of idolize different speakers. They even idolize the Pope sometimes, attribute a kind of spiritual authority that that the Pope doesn't quite have, or or this speaker, uh, uh, or or a radio or TV personality, just. God is the one who is holy, and all the rest of us are holy insofar as we participate in his holiness. And so we should not never be surprised when somebody that we deeply esteem uh, fails us or, or, or disappoints, or we should be distressed for them and we should pray for their salvation. But it's part of our broken human nature that sometimes people are going to fall. If we've put all our hope in a person, and then they fall, and then we're discouraged and we give up our faith. We put our, our faith and our hope and our love in the wrong place. Uh, that person was just an instrument and a frail instrument. And God used that person for a time in your life to build you up. And that's it. While they built you up, take everything that's good, discern everything though. Just because they said it and just because you like them doesn't mean it's true. You should be praying through everything, discussing everything questioning everything as you receive the truth it's going to enrich you and you can thank god for the truth you received and for the person who's given it to you what a blessing that god sent that person and if they fall pray for them because they did you some great good they deserve your prayers now and they will if we pray for them they'll repent they'll come back and in heaven we'll all laugh together about how we needed each other how we really needed each other in this life to get through the trials and the tribulations that are here, uh, that God gave us to each other. But the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. And anyone who participates in his work of redemption always does in a frail, imperfect manner. But he's our Savior. And so if people fail us and we find ourselves being discouraged by that, we should question ourselves, where did I put my faith? What was my real relationship with that person? Did I idolize that person? And then repent of, if you did, repent of it and turn your faith back to the Lord and he will raise you on high. So in closing, any final thoughts on this chapter? We are working through the first 10 chapters in, in these discussions right now. And, and we've talked about poverty and detachment. And, and she's getting ready to talk to us about prayer. She'll do that in chapter 19. But here uh, we've kind of explored the need to not let things or people or honor or comfort hold us back. And so these lessons are, are what I would call ascetical lessons, lessons of a disciplined life that we need to learn. Those who will embrace these teachings, who will question their friendships, who will look at how they're living, look at their daily schedule and ask how they can make their daily life more prayerful, they will be blessed by whatever sacrifices they make for the Lord. Whatever they do for the Lord, the Lord will not be outdone in generosity. Thank you, Anthony. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. Most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.